Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm Connor Hope here with my co-host, Brian Ralph, and we are joined by Busting Brackets site expert, Lucas Harkins, to discuss quite possibly the most exciting conference year in, year in, year out to watch every single year. Definitely has the best conference tournament at the end of the year, the Big East. Lucas, thanks for joining us, and uh, we're, we're happy to have you. Happy to be on. So, big news in the Big East, uh, and this doesn't have to, to do with this year, but we, we've discussed it before, wanted to get your take on it. What are your thoughts on UConn, just to get it out of the way, UConn joining the Big East next year? Well, as a Butler fan and a uh, former student now, uh, I get endless flashbacks to maybe the ugliest national championship game of all time whenever I think of the Huskies. Um, but in terms of adding them back to the Big East, uh, couldn't be really much more excited about it as a fan of the conference, um, adding someone, adding a, adding a program um, as prestigious as UConn um, is always engaging and adds to the top-to-bottom strength of the conference. No, definitely, definitely. Um, and I think Brian and I are both kind of excited for that to happen. Uh, it's going to be good, at least for UConn, I think it's going to be good, help them get back and, and compete at the top of college basketball again or towards the top of college basketball again with all, with all that great competition. Moving on to this year, Villanova is decidedly by some back into the fold of, of top 10 teams in the country. Lucas, Brian, wh- what do you guys think fans can realistically expect from this Wildcats team. I know that they're kind of sitting right behind that initial group of six to seven in the AP poll. So what are your expectations heading into this season? I I think it depends on the health of Brian Antoine. He would give them the kind of athletic perimeter versatile shooter that Villanova was always at their best at when they have one of those guys. Um, They've kind of been building for, I, I think, two years now with this group of players, the post Josh Hart, post Jalen Brunson, post Amari Spellman group, uh, that now I think is at a point where they can realistically compete at the level that we've come to expect Villanova to compete at. You've got guys like Sadiq Bey who could come in and break through. Colin Gillespie, I, I ranked him a lot early last year, but I think he at least proved he can be a solid, reliable starting point guard. Um, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think coming in on the inside is going to play a big role as well. They have a lot of talent everywhere, and I think it, it fits into, most importantly, fits into what Jay Wright wants to do with his system at Villanova. I think Antoine's health would put them over the top and make them a Final Four caliber team um, because they would fit that style so well and have that high-end talent that they've had when they've made those long national championship runs. Yeah, I think in general, when we look at Nova for this year, um, I know it's not really fair to look at where they are in reference to last season because everyone else in the country either improved um, or got worse as well. But Nova won 26 games last year, won the Big East title again, and we're talking about them as if they had a bad season. I mean, it's really a testament to how good Jay Wright has been with this program. And I think there's no reason not give them the benefit of the doubt as a top 25 team this year. Um, as Brian already referenced, solid group of returners, 
really good recruiting class coming in, losing Pascal, losing Booth, um, obviously big losses. And I'm intrigued to see how Gillespie takes the step with a lot of primary ball handling instead of uh, mm-hmm. Booth this year. Um, but even if Antoine misses significant time, I really like what I saw about Justin Moore um, when I watched him during his high school days. And I think that he's ready to at least he had about college. He had 39 in one of those scrimmages against UNC, didn't he? Like he went yeah. off in that game. Yeah. I think he had nine threes in that one. Um, and he's a lot of a, and I didn't really see him as that explosive as a scorer from what I've seen from him. Um, but I think no matter what, he's going to be a solid, consistent contributor in the backcourt, um, either as a starter or one of those top reserves for the team. I guess my biggest concern uh, for Villanova, they're, they're obviously strong in the front court with Sadiq Bey and, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl backcourt with, uh, Antoine Gillespie and and Moore's really good. Is Jermaine Samuels able to step up and be a solid starting wing on a on a Final Four national championship contender? I don't see why he can't be on the Mikael Bridges path and kind of make a similar leap. Maybe not as big of a leap and become a top ten pick, but I don't see why he can't make a similar leap. He reminds me a lot um, of, of Mikael Bridges, and I mean. We we just saw Jay Wright develop someone in, in that same mold. I don't see why he can't. Obviously, we need to see it, but but I don't see why he can't. Yeah, and I look at it as, from a starting five point of view, if Gillespie's going to be rock solid at point, let's say Antoine's healthy, he's probably a star right away. Mm-hmm. Samuels in the wing doesn't even need to be that special when Bay's projected to probably have a sophomore jump and Robinson Earl's going to be a star too. He doesn't need to be... Um, a featured part of the offense he can fill another complimentary role like he did last year and, and excel there exactly yeah. fourth offensive option and be a primary wing defender which i think is a role that really suits him well yep okay so behind villanova because i think that at least nationally they're kind they're they're somewhat pegged as the unanimous choice to win that conference um there there are two real teams that that are competing for for that second spot um at least at least in the media's eyes seton hall and xavier um i personally think that seton hall is probably a good step ahead of xavier but obviously xavier has is greatly improved from you know the past couple of years where do you think uh they're gonna they're going to fall. Do you think, do you think Seton Hall should be a de facto two spot with Xavier step behind or do, or do you think that Xavier can compete with those top two teams in the conference? Give me all the Seton Hall. Give me all the Seton Hall. Give me all the Miles Powell. Just give me all the Seton Hall you can get this year. I, I think they're actually going to win the conference. I think it'll be a tight race between them and Vill- Villanova, but I think I, I like Seton Hall to win that, especially with Villanova dealing with that Antoine injury, as we mentioned, uh, could slow them down at least at the beginning of conference play. Seton Hall obviously has, I think, one of the premier stars in the country in Miles Powell, probably the best clutch player in the country in Miles Powell. I think he's going to go on and win National Player of the Year this year. Everything I saw from him last year was amazing, carrying a group that necessarily wasn't. NCAA tournament caliber and willing them there single-handedly with his shot making a uh, little bit of defense average over two steals a game last year everyone wants to talk about his shot making and his defense was, was pretty good last year as well 
they returned essentially everybody from that group last year. They returned just one player. Add in uh, Big Man Obiagu from Florida State. They have a freshman coming in the middle, too, who they really like. There's a legitimate chance that they go 10-11 deep and have a lot of different looks they can give opponents. And with everybody back providing that experience on the supporting cast, with Miles Powell still leading the way, I'm really, really high on what the Pirates can do this year. And I am much less bullish on the Pirates <laughs> on the whole. Now, do I think they're still a top tw- a preseason top 25 team? Absolutely. There's absolutely no question about that. But does this team give me a little bit of 2017-18 vibes? I would be lying if I didn't say that's the truth. Um, I think they exceeded expectations last year and once again are returning a really strong score um, like that Rodriguez team. And I think I'm a little bit hesitant to really think Kevin Willard's squad takes a huge leap because let's be real, for most of last season, they were a bubble team. And to think that a bubble team without really that many major additions, I mean, I really like Obiago. Don't get me wrong. I think he mm-hmm. adds a really big element to their front court Really big, like seven foot big. Yeah, seven foot big. I think that's that's a huge difference. But is it enough to really raise them almost 40 spots in the national rankings? I'm not so sure if I'm that big a believer on that. Now, I think they probably slot somewhere between 20 and 30 in the country and somewhere between two and four in the Big Big East. And it would be a mistake to put anyone else in the two spot for the preseason in the Big East. Their roster is easily the best or second best on the table. but I'm not at a, as high on their projections as others. The, the one thing I will say is that they were essentially having to go with a mostly new rotation last year. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw them hit their stride towards the end of the year once those players had a little bit of experience and everything sort of got settled. So I think we, there is a bit of a jump to be made that comes yeah. with a full year of experience. Everybody's more established in the roles uh, kind of a deal. I am expecting uh, – a jump for sure. Um, and as you mentioned with a uh, Seton Hall team in recent memory that was expected to make a jump and didn't, it's not necessarily a guarantee, but I don't think anybody, that team obviously had Miles Powell, but did not have this version of Miles Powell and had nobody like this Absolutely. version of Miles Powell. And I, I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. Um, but I'm also not sure they have anyone that's on Delgado or Rodriguez yeah. or Carrington as the two or three guys. That's fair. What are your guys' thoughts on the I'm gonna I'm gonna use air quotes for this one suspension of Coach Kevin Willard that's going to last <laughs> precisely long enough so that he gets back in time for the home game against Michigan State? They don't care. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Ask ninety-nine percent of college basketball fans and they don't care or are confused as what you're talking about. Who's Kevin Willard? <laughs> It just it, it's it's this is the we were we were talking I was talking Lucas and I were ta- in a discussion about this the other day. Um, it's it's the first time we've really seen a program actually pursue transfer tampering against another program, and so to, to me at least it, mm-hmm. it's it's very interesting. Um, even though no decision has been made by the NCAA, it's just an investigation. Um, it, it, it's just it, it's it's kind of weird with everything else going on that this kind of pops up when it does but amid the constant onslaught of twitter people complaining about transfer requests and waivers <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm leaning a little bit more towards Lucas's end of this argument of over Seton Hall. Um, in that I just they have obviously have a ton of talent in that front court. I just don't trust any of it really. Um, <laughs> and and as for Miles Powell, I mean, you could make the argument that he could be someone like this year's uh, Carson Edwards or something like that, where he's just that guard that kind of takes over games and leads a talented roster with a solid coach to, to, to a deep tournament run. But um, I'm, I'm usually a little bit weary of, of teams that are going to center their offense on one player. It's just my thought. Um, because and I'm not willing to compare Kevin Willard to Matt Painter either. No. <laughs> <laughs> The one, the one thing I will say about Powell, though, is I, I became such a big fan of his last year because every game, or seemingly every, every big game, when they needed him, he delivered. In the second half, there would always be a run where he took over for a, a five- to ten-minute stretch without fail, especially towards the end of January, February, and early March. Uh, and if he's able to do that without receiving a lot of help from the rest of his teammates and if they can provide a little bit more this year um, I think that frees them up to to be more efficient and more effective but that's just me yeah no definitely so moving on um the third team and, and I think it's I think these three teams are pretty much the consensus top three teams in, in the big east um Xavier's been probably the most there, there's the biggest variety in where people have them ranked. Uh, some people have them ranked as close as, as the top 15. Um, some people have them ranked into the into the low 20s. Um, they have a solid de facto starting five uh, with Jason. They have an outstanding core four coming back, as I've coined it. <laughs> so, so they they have that core four. They have Jason Carter coming from Ohio, uh, Bryce Moore coming from Western Michigan. Uh, gives them a lot of uh, junior and senior experience to go with their talented freshman recruiting class. That's why, you know, for me at least, it, it's I trust that they're going to at least meet expectations a little bit more than Seton Hall, even though I think Seton Hall's ceiling might be higher. Um, but I just want to get your guys' thoughts on them because I have seen them all over the place on, on pretty much everyone's top 25. Yeah, I think they're a hard team to peg because, like you said, while their floor, I think, is really high because of how good they're projected to be defensively and how good I think they will be defensively, their ceiling isn't necessarily super high either. Like, it doesn't necessarily feel right to think of them as a top 15, maybe even a top 20 team. I think they're kind of right there in that 20 to 25 range nationally. Defensively, like I said, I think they're going to be great. Offensively, though, is kind of where I have the question marks if they can produce on that end consistently and find a, a real go-to guy they can rely on. Yeah, I think my biggest concern with Xavier heading into this season was definitely going to be um, shooting again. Mm-hmm. Um, if they could really get real threats, especially after losing um, a couple quality shooters this offseason. But I think they did a really nice job adding um, Bryce Moore, Western Michigan, really solid shooter, Kai Kai Tandy legitimate contender for best name in the Big East and also a knockdown shooter um, from distance off the bench. And those guys can play um, those backup roles behind Gooden and Scruggs. Um, I do think Najee Marshall's ready if he's healthy because he played a lot of games last season, but definitely dealt um, 
with some injuries, and he is ready to take that leap and be a go-to scorer for them. But I say that at the same time as having my own concerns with the Musketeers as well. I mean, they won, let's face it, they had a seven-game stretch to end last season where they went six and one, but they had lost the previous six games. Did they really turn a switch last season, um, or did they win – a lot of close games and a little stretch. And was that then really turning a corner that we can believe for this coming season? That's my question. I have Xavier in my top 25 and safely, and that's coming from a Butler fan. But at the same time, I do have my concerns. And it wouldn't be the first time that a rising second-year head coach in the Big East is disappointed in year two. So behind those three, there's what one, two, three, four teams, four teams that are kind of stuck in that no man's land between the top three in the Big East and eighth place Butler. And um... how dare you not say five teams? <laughs> I, I, I stand by that as a non-biased fan. I say three through eight. I mean, four through eight, I just lump together. <laughs> but uh, but but these four these four, unlike Butler. Uh, received at least one vote in the AP poll. Uh, Creighton, Marquette, Providence, and uh, Georgetown. The one that was interesting to me, um, at least from a perspective of someone who watched Kobe McEwen at Utah State and and really likes Marcus Howard, um, yes, they lose the Hauser, but... I think Marquette is is I don't have them in my top 25 but I think they're probably the closest to that in the Big East although I could see an argument made for any of the other three who do you guys think is the the closest or or the the fourth best team I know uh, Brian's pretty high on Georgetown I have Georgetown finishing third personally I again it's a lot of projections for me but based on what I saw last year, I, I think Georgetown could be in uh, for a real breakout season. They were one of the six breakout teams for the year. Uh, in a recent article that I posted on Busted Brackets. Um, what a plug. What a plug. They're, I, I think everything is in place for them to make that step that everyone has been waiting for in, in the Patrick Ewing era. They've overexceeded expectations the first two years relative to what they've been doing, but haven't made the tournament yet. They've been young. I love James Akinjo as the point guard. Led the Big East in assists last year. Proved to be a quality scorer. Was a second winning scorer. Uh, just under 14 a game. But was inefficient, uh, which you can expect from a lot of freshman guards, especially smaller guards like he is, going up against, for the first time, really legitimate size in the Big East, uh, especially for him, who, who whose game was around attacking the paint and getting the rim. He took a lot of kind of wild out of control shots that you'd expect from somebody who is a near seven to finish over the kind of length that he had to finish over last year. I think he makes those adjustments. And if he becomes that star that I, I think he does, someone who averages maybe 18 and seven a game, which he can, he can do something like becoming more efficient and cutting down on turnovers. Uh, I think Georgetown can go to the next level. And I know that Lou's just a good man, but Omar seven coming in, um, NC State Chancellor is going to be eligible this year. A bit of a different game. Will we be able to replace, I think, some of Govan's offensive production? And as the rest of that group kind of takes a step forward, kind of like I talked about with the rest of uh, Seton Hall supporting cast, as the rest of Georgetown's roster takes a step forward, because they return everybody else too, I think we see them being a top 25 team before the end of the season. 
I noticed you just spent a couple of minutes talking about Georgetown. I don't think you mentioned the word defense one time, and I think that's the center of my concern is, yep. for the Hoyas this year. Um, I have no issues about their ability to score the basketball. They, and I know that's a phrase everybody hates, but I have no concern about their ability to score. I mean, they passed the ball well. They got a couple backcourt stars. I really like um, Josh LeBlanc is maybe the most underrated returning sophomore. Uh, in the conference and he's got to be that defensive player this year I think he can emerge as really a defensive star um, at their forward spot and I think that'll be key and I'm hoping that while losing Govan certainly hurts on offense adding your seven will improve their defense a tad but a tad might not be enough for them to really take the leap into being a top 25 caliber team and in a conference that is stacked with offensive talent and I mean loaded with offensive talent Mm -hmm. Um, I think Georgetown could have a hard time slowing down those offenses and they won't score enough to keep up. That's my concern with Georgetown and going back to who I think is probably going to be that fourth team this year. I'll agree with Connor um, on Marquette. I originally had Creighton slotted in this spot, but assuming Jacob Epperson's going to miss a bunch yeah. of time this year, they lose a ton in the front court with him gone because they just don't have enough depth at the center spot. Adding Kelvin Jones is a great um, solid additions from Idaho State, but asking Christian Bishop to play a ton of minutes at the four and five is, while I think he's a breakout star in the conference, is a lot. Um, and I think Marquette is going to have plenty of talent. Their backcourt is going to be loaded. Marcus Howard and Coe McEwen are offensive stars that can carry the banner for them. And Anum and Bailey and John are all solid players on both ends of the court that can kind of round it out. And I think we overlook the addition of Simon Torrance as a legitimate two-way threat as a backup guard behind Howard and McEwen this year, even mm-hmm. if Ray Elliott is forced to miss more time due to injury this year. They added a couple more bigs um, with Jace Johnson coming in from Utah this year, and Ed Morrow is probably going to see a little bit of a more pronounced role in the front court. Um, I think Marquette's a deep team that even with the Housers leaving, maybe take a step back on offense, but take a step forward defensively again. Yeah, and I have the same concerns that you do, Lucas, about uh, Creighton uh, losing Epperson because Calvin Jones is, is a solid option um, on the interior, but he struggled to rebound in the big sky. And Hey, it's a big sky. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I just don't see him being that force in the paint that you yep. kind of want in the Big East. Because the Big East is a lot more physical than the Big Sky, and it's going to be—I mean, come come January, it's going to be a big wake-up call for him. Yep. Um, so moving on to that, the, the, the mysterious fourth team. I, I see. I, it's I'm torn. Ed Cooley might be my favorite coach in the Big East, and I like that core of Jallo Watson and Luane Pipkins coming in. But Providence... without mentioning Duke or Reeves, <laughs> but uh, but but Providence is just they're that team. They're kind of that team that's going to be in the spot where they're going to be maybe the last team to slide into the tournament from the Big East. Uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on on the Friars? I'm kind of in that same boat. I, I love Ed Cooley as a coach. I think he's probably one of the more underrated coaches in the country. He's well-respected. Um, I'd love to see him, no no knock on Providence, but I'd love to see him get the opportunity to get 
sort of one of those higher ranking jobs because I think he could do a lot there that maybe Providence doesn't have the ceiling for. Uh, at the same time, I don't think he'll ever leave Providence. But that, that's a that's a side note. I, I'm really high on him. I think, like you mentioned, they have a core group of guys that are solid, not great, but solid, and are going to finish probably mid-tier of the Big East, sneak in, get a, maybe a, a 10 seed, be in that 7-10, 8-9 game in the NCAA tournament, maybe win a game uh, just with some toughness and X's and O's from Cooley. Um, but I, I think it's another year of kind of more of the same from what we've seen Providence establish under Cooley, that kind of identity. Of that middle five that we've been talking about, yeah, you heard me, five. Um, <laughs> Providence is the team that I definitely have the most confidence in to make the tournament, but the least confidence in to make a run. Yep. I think they're going to be rock solid defensively. Uh, alpha leading the way is an alpha, one of the best players in the conference. Um, and I think they'll be rock solid all around, but I don't really see them taking a monster leap into being a top four seed in the region, but another eight, nine matchup, maybe they'll get a win in the tournament. And that's been, I think the one knock on Ed Cooley as a head coach is they've been super consistent, but I think he only has one NCAA tournament win. Yeah. Does any of this for you guys change if uh, Emmett Holt can even reach 80% of what he was before all the injury issues? I mean, a little bit. I think they're pretty much the same roster, even if he's that. I don't really see. I think they're a deep team, going to be good defensively, and the front court's already pretty stacked to me. Um, Yeah, I think it, to Lucas's point, adds another guy, but I don't think changes – the character of their season at all yeah no definitely I mean, just you look they have what half their rotation is six seven so <laughs> uh, essentially yes <laughs> so and there's Tipkins. yep <laughs> and, and malik white <laughs> so yeah no i, I that's what tears me apart about Providence is because I I want Providence to do well and to make a run mm-hmm. and, and Ed Cooley to, to finally kind of get his due because I feel like he is one of the more underappreciated coaches in college basketball. Um, but he just he just can't win in that first weekend in the tournament. The one year he did was when he had NBA talent. Yeah. Right. right. And – that's a tough thing to alert the Providence. So I don't know if that's as good of a coach he is. I don't know if that's going to uh, change on a consistent basis. Yeah. So moving on, I think, I think Brian and I have to give Lucas his, his stage. Um, I have Butler eighth. I think eighth is the perfect spot to put Butler. It's, it's there. It was the easiest other than, other than Xavier at three. Butler at eight was probably the easiest spot for me to place a team uh, when I was looking at the Big East. Lucas, what can we expect from the Bulldogs? Let me start by saying this. I also have Butler eighth. Um, (laughs) All of that, and you agree with us. But I will also say that I think this is going to be a year that's going to have a lot of ties in the conference. Yeah, I don't I think, think it's necessarily even fair to do a one through 10 with one team slotted at each position this year. The amount of teams that are going to finish nine and nine and walk away with saying, Oh, we played really well for 18 games um, is going to be a few. Uh, and I think on the whole, if you take a step back from looking at individual results from Butler last season, 
um, you'll see a different light on the team. I mean, if you just take a step back and you look, okay, Butler was a bubble team with two weeks to go left in the season before a monster collapse. They returned probably the third best player in the conference. They returned two wing starters, a starting point guard who's going to be in his third year as the starting leader, and they massively improve in the front court. Um, Smits and Enzi, while mid-major transfer additions, are going to be unbelievably better defensively over the Joey Brunk and Nate Fowler duo um, and will be better rebounders. And I think it's fair to say that Butler at least is going to be an improved team this season. Whether or not that means they move up in the rankings is dependent on how much the rest of the team show their improvement because I'm not going to be a simply biased fan and not look at the fact that the entire Big East basically got better this year outside of St. John's. But I think that Butler deserves to be in that four through eight range with the other squads there. Um, Kamar Baldwin is a bona fide star, and there's going to be no one who's going to argue with me on that. Um, and I think there's a couple guys in the roster kind of ready to take the next leap. I mean, even Aaron Thompson just being more aggressive on offense changes things. Sean McDermott might be the most annoying player in the country because he's too efficient. He, he, he averaged nine and a half points a game last season and shooting over 40% from three again, but you have to look for him to be a guy who's going to have to look for his own shot more this season. And same with Jordan Tucker on the opposite frame. Maybe he takes a step back and becomes a bit more efficient this season. Um, and then Butler also added their, one of their top rated freshmen in program history and Caleb battle, who for some reason is not getting enough credit as a realistic impact freshman in the conference comes in as a top 100 guy, six foot five, athletic slasher with a smooth three-point shot. Hard to find a guy who fits better in the league. So I would say Butler deservingly has plenty of concerns considering their disastrous end to last season. And I never want to see Ed Cooley in Hinkle Fieldhouse again. But <laughs> with that said, I think they're a good enough team that's going to be the eighth team in the conference that will compete for a bid. I think all eight um, teams in the top will be in the bubble conversation in the final month of the season. And Butler's one of those teams. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up uh, Caleb battle because he's, he's one of those freshmen that I'm looking at kind of with an air of mystery. Cause most, most freshmen you can put into two buckets. You can put into freshmen that you think are probably ripe for a red shirt because there's just not enough space for them in the rotation and freshmen that, you know, are going to make an immediate impact possibly start. Caleb battle is kind of, in between he's he's the like you said the one of the top freshmen they've ever had but they do return a solid backcourt so but they also lose 27 minutes per game with paul jorgensen graduating um there's they a do. lot of minutes there yeah but I, i'm just i i think he's he's one of those players that for me is is in a perfect position to to establish himself as probably one of if not the best sixth men um in the conference. So it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. When you think about for me, from just looking at the roster perspective, what has me excited about the season for Butler also definitely, I have my concerns. Hence why I picked my favorite team eighth. Um, but with that said, I think that when you look at Butler's roster and you say there's a legitimate chance, Sean McDermott and Caleb battle or Jordan Tucker and Caleb battle are the first two guys off the bench this season. That's a really good sixth and seventh crew. That's a, t that's a really good six, seven-man rotation 
um, with a few guys off the bench that other guys off the bench that might make an impact. I mean, I have heard really good things about Christian David out of practice and I've heard really good things. And I saw really good things out of him in Butler's first exhibition game. And while I'm not going to make a ton of takeaways from 40 minutes against IU Kokomo, I am going to say that he looked significantly better than we have in any of the last two seasons. Yeah, you you can't take anything away really from these scrimmages. Um, hey, that's an exhibition. Well, this is not this. They were not hush hush about this at all. You can go to that. <laughs> the only thing I want to take away from any scrimmage is that Duke only beat Northwest Missouri State or whatever by six. Duke's going to suck this year. It's the only thing anybody wants to take away from, from these exhibitions. <laughs> no, it's just it, it's it's fine. Like, you can't. I guess you can't take away anything from the score. Yeah, I mean, you can obviously watch players play and, and see how they perform. But yeah, but I'll say this in summary, if Butler gets a realistic, a legitimate secondary scoring option besides Baldwin this season, whether that's McDermott, Tucker or battle, I think are the three most likely options. They'll be a good team. If they don't, we'll see a lot of what we saw last season. Yeah. So moving on. So, so Brian knows this a couple of weeks ago, uh, my bold prediction for the mountain West conference um, was that San Jose State wouldn't finish last. Uh, I'm not going to cop out this time, but I think that is DePaul in a position, and, and I think we're, we're probably all in agreement, is DePaul in a position to not be the worst team in the Big East this year because they have some yes. talent on that roster. Yes, and uh, talent on the roster, I think, uh, especially in comparison to other DePaul rosters in the past, um, but they, they have legitimate talent, and I think because of the step back that St. John's is taking and the regime change there with Mike Anderson running a, a very different system, uh, they have athletes, St. John's is running a very different system. Um, Arguably one I, of the best one-two punches in the conference for a team that I'm going to pick 10th. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Romeo Weems uh, for DePaul could be somebody who – I don't, I don't want to say he'll make an all-conference team, but I think he'll certainly challenge for that. He's a top 60 freshman. DePaul is going to run pretty much everything through him. They have a legitimate power conference starting point guard, I think, in Charlie Moore, and you can debate if he's that good or not, considering he wasn't great at Kansas last year. Um, but I, I think there were some other things at Kansas last year that with the rotation and how it was used that – played a part in that but you can look at those two guys for DePaul and think okay we have at least two guys that can go up against the top teams in the Big East and in the past they've had nobody so this is definitely a major step forward for them I'll say you went through that and didn't include Paul Reed which gives me a third player for exactly. DePaul that can definitely compete I mean he came off a major breakout last season and I see no reason why he's not going to be the best player on the roster um, this season for the Blue Demons. Now, I am not. I like to fall. I like to fall this year. I think they're going to finish ninth safely, um, and I think they're going to be a significant step below the top eight, but a significant step ahead of St. John's. Um, I think we over we underrate how much they lost this off season. I mean, they have some mm -hmm. solid additions, but Max Struess is not an easy person to lose. Eli Kane is not an easy person to lose. Even Elujabi for one season was a solid contributor. Uh, and I think we we underrate how much they lost in terms of talent in this potential breakout season. And that's why I think 
they'll be improved this season, but not compete for an NCAA tournament bid. And part of that for me is I like Romeo Weems, the NBA prospect, much better than Romeo Weems, the college basketball player. Yeah, I, I think what they lost was a good deal of production, particularly mm-hmm. with Kane and Strauss. I think what they gained, though, with more and Weems are more talented players. It, sure. it, I think I think it's on them uh, and the system to get them to produce at that same level. And that's on a coach that I don't necessarily trust. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think if you're DePaul and you're probably going to finish the bottom of the conference anyway, mm-hmm. would you rather have production you know you're going to get uh, and still finish ninth, or would you rather have this increased talent that maybe gives you hope for a little bit more? There's certainly more excitement. Yeah, more variance too, but more excitement. Yeah. So the victim of, of DePaul's rise to dominance – Obviously, I think everyone will, will agree is St. John's. They, uh, Shimori, Shimori Ponds, I would argue in terms of just a single loss in the conference is probably the biggest loss that any team is suffering this year. Um, just from the, the, the fact that he was St. John's Saint offense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it almost makes the loss of Justin Simon seem like a, an afterthought. Uh, but it, it, it leaves them with LJ Figueroa, Mustafa Heron as their only really big returners. Every, everyone else. How would you feel to be Mustafa Heron, by the way? You were at Auburn two years ago, and I know he transferred because of some, uh, some off-court personal matters. But you go from an Auburn team that was winning the SEC, you, you go to St. John's, they make the Final Four without you, and now you're a senior and you're on the worst team in the Big East probably. That downfall it's, gotta it's, hurt. I mean, it, it. It's if it wasn't, you know, because it was for personal reasons. I think it's it ultimately is the right move. But... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'm I'm speaking strictly from an on court yeah perspective and what he gets it, to do thirty eight times a year. Just I mean, it just goes to show you what two years can do to to a program because I mean, two years ago St. John's was competing at the top of the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not really plugged into to all their additions. I I don't really watch Houston Baptist games all that often. Um, How dare you, <laughs> Lucas? Who is the third best player on that team? Because I can't pick one. Great question. <laughs> I think we're gonna we're gonna learn pretty quick who it is, but we won't know yet. I think that's determinant on how Mike Anderson wants to run his offense and which person thrives quickest in that scheme. I mean, they have basically an entire roster of newcomers learning a new system. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's going to be which one clicks quickest with coach Anderson's scheme and which one's able to make the most of their situation. I also think it could be a situation where it's somebody different every night being a third guy, which could be a good thing. It could also be a bad thing. Uh, just outside of those two guys you mentioned, Connor, there's no real headline grabber or guy that you're expecting to rely on. There's, there's going to be a lot of inconsistency with this roster in general, uh, but particularly with those guys outside of the top two, um, it, it could be very hot and cold on a night-to-night basis. Yeah. Yep. And and, and I, this, the last question I have about St. John's, obviously it's not going to be pretty this year. Do you have faith in Mike Anderson's ability to bring excitement back to Carneseca? Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think he's a really engaging um, head coach who I, I really like um, what he's done in his career um, as a leader. I mean, not necessarily he's an outstanding head coach, but I think he brings um, the right mentality to New York basketball. Um, and I think that he's going to be aggressive on the recruiting trail, snag some guys from lo- from local areas and bring bring a lot more talent to the program. And I think he's going to be able to do more with that talent than um, we ever saw happen the past few years. I think he's able to. Uh, I'm not ready to go out on a limb and say that he will yet. Uh, there are some things working against him, uh, like never having – uh, coached or really recruited at a high level or at an intense level in the Northeast. Um, and then just the recent tracker of St. John's obviously works against everybody who coaches at St. John's. But I do think that his style is a lot of fun and is going to appeal to the New York City, especially brand of basketball. Uh, there's no shortage of athletes there. They may not have the, the top level prospects New York City used to produce on a consistent basis that we always hear about, but there's still a, a lot of, I would say, higher mid-tier prospects, kind of like that that above average to average level that are all, for the most part, really good athletes that could, I, I think, thrive pretty easily in that system. And if he's able to harness um, that with sort of the hometown pitch that every St. John coach tries to harness. If he's able to do that, I think he'll be successful, and I think his style gives him a chance to be. Uh, but I think we'll know after three years with how they perform on the court and how the recruiting goes, especially if he's able to, to do that or not. Right, right. So moving on, we ask pretty much the same three to four questions at the end of every every conference preview. Uh, first question for both of you, um, how many teams from the Big East do you see making the NCAA tournament? And Lucas, I know you just released your bracketology um, for busting brackets. Hashtag plug. <laughs> how, many, uh, how many teams do you see making it? And do you see any teams that are a true Final Four national championship contender in the Big East? Okay, so I picked the conference to get six bids right out the bat, um, and I think that's a safe pick. It wouldn't shock me if the conference got seven bids. Um, I think a lot of teams in the league have really challenging non-conference schedules that will help um, come conference play, and I think we'll see maybe one or two teams will even get in with eight and ten conference records. Um, I think that the key, though, in determining how many bids the conference will get is how good are DePaul and St. John's. Mm-hmm. Are they teams that are going to go four and 14? If that's the case, then the, those mid tier bubble teams are going to collect victories. Um, three or four of those, they play those teams, four teams, uh, four times during the year. And that those are four wins that if you can get, you're halfway there. If you had a good non-conference. So I think six teams conservatively, I have Nova, Seton Hall, Xavier Marquette, Providence and Creighton um, just because I'm not high on Georgetown, but it wouldn't shock me at all. If Georgetown not only made it, uh, it wouldn't be shocked if Georgetown not only made it, turn up, got as high as a six seed. Um, that's how much the variance is in this league. Um, so I think the top eight teams. So for me, that's Nova Creighton, Xavier, Seton Hall, Marquette, Providence, Butler, and Georgetown and whatever order you want to put. That's not my order. I just listed them off yeah. from what I have. Um, but 
those teams will all compete for bids within the last three weeks of the season. In terms of Final Four potential, though, Nova has Final Four potential. I think that's it. I I agree on the the six to seven teams. I I think I would go with seven, but I think it depends on who that seventh team in conferences and in and the non-conference schedule that they played will play a role in that. Final four contenders, I, I think two teams make the final four from the Big East. I think Villanova does, um, assuming that Antoine gets healthy before the end of the year. Um, even if he ends up just playing in, in February and March, I think that's enough of a difference in the make a final four run. And I, I like Seton Hall to make a final four run. I, I think Miles Powell, again, is capable of being a guy who takes over the tournament. We haven't had one of those guys in a little bit, but I think he's capable of being that guy. Again, I'm banking on the experience of the rest of the roster and Powell um, at least replicating what he did last year. I think if he does that and the rest of the supporting cast does well, they'll win a number of games. And I think Powell can probably win one on his own in the tournament. I, I would pick them as a Cinderella Final Four pick. For me, I when I go through – thinking about preseason picks for deep runs in the tournament, I really look to coaching. And quite frankly, Jay Wright's the only coach I have any trust in in the postseason. Any trust. Nobody else do I look at. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can count on that coach to win a game. That's fair. Yeah. But I I will say there's maybe three other teams in the country that have a Miles Powell-type guy who can take over a game late and win it for you. And we all know in March in the NCAA tournament, guard play matters and having a guy who can create his own shot, especially against tough defense, makes a big difference. And uh, we saw Powell do it. For Marquette. Okay, I see it. Well, <laughs> I, I think Seton Hall is a better sporting cast than Marquette does. <laughs> but That's um, we, we I, again, because of how much that we saw Powell do it last year, starting with that Kentucky game, um, I rely, I'm confident in his ability to replicate that. I'm counting on him replicating it a number of times. But uh, I would view that as a Cinderella Final Four pick, but one that I think has a realistic chance of happening. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I'm, I, I, I th- I'm going to say six. Um, I think it could be as high as seven. Uh, I'm, I'm down on teams like St. Mary's and, and teams in the Mountain West. And so I think that te- conferences, specifically the, the Big East, are going to benefit from from the lack of bids coming out of the West outside of the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I don't really – I wouldn't really say any team is a, is a true national championship contender, but um, I, I could see Villanova making it to the Final Four. I just, I just don't know if I could see them winning five or six in a row, um, but I could see them winning four. Uh, I just think they're gonna, they're gonna struggle um, when they, they need, in my opinion, when they need their point guard to, to make those plays, um, yeah. which is where a, a Miles Powell or, or a Marcus Howard comes in, or a Brian Antoine. <laughs> if he's healthy. If he's healthy. If he's healthy. I will say, too, the, the, this part of the exercise is hard because, in my opinion, there's so much cloudiness at the top of the yeah. country in terms of top teams. There's no – like last year, there was a very clear top tier between teams that were contenders and everybody else. That's There's there's not that this year. There's, I, I think, a top six that we've all kind of agreed on. Uh, and But even them, 
even, even those six teams have flaws. I think it's going to be a pretty wide open year, which, which should be a lot of fun. Except for Florida. Florida has no flaws. Except for Florida. No flaws. National champs. Except an experience. Oh. <laughs> um, the next question, normally we ask or, or we discuss uh, player of the year uh, picks, but I really think there's probably oh, only two choices. So I'm going to go at it from a different perspective. I have a feeling Brian's going to take uh, someone from Georgetown for player of the year. I think that's his top contender for one of those two spots. <laughs> if I read his article from earlier this week correctly. He is uh, James Akinjo, <laughs> as we talked about before, is going to be Miles My- Powell's biggest contender and finish number two ahead of Marcus Howard. But Miles Powell is going to win because he's going to win national player of the year. I think if Seton Hall is as good as I think they're going to be, it's going to be because Powell is going to be as good as, as I think he's going to be. And if they win the Big East and he is averaging over 20 a game again, I don't think there's any way you can give it to anybody else. I'm taking Marcus Howard as my player <laughs> in the conference because I think Marquette's going to be better than people expect. And if he pushes that team to the top 25 ranking, um, he's going to get a lot of votes. And yeah. I will say outside of the top two that everyone is assuming, I think the definite number three for me is Najee Marshall. Okay. A healthy yeah. Marshall takes Xavier to, to the next level on both ends. Yeah. yeah. I could see that. No, and it's interesting because I think pretty much every team in the Big East, which is probably rare for most conferences, but pretty much every team in the Big East has at least one guy who can compete not necessarily for a player of the year uh, award, but, but for a, a first team all conference. And yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those, these moments where, where I'm a big proponent of the way the WCC and the PAC 12 do their first teams and um, allow five, five people. What? Allow five people. Allow 10 people. <laughs> hey, the biggest has six. Oh, that's right. That's right, because Miles Powell is going to win, but not be a first teamer because they don't take the Player of the Year as a first team all select conference yeah. selection. Um, all but, these teams, teams have five players. But but I'm probably in the same boat. I think Miles Powell's the the clear choice. I, I would say that if if you were to be team agnostic and just look at the player, um, I'd probably have Marcus Howard but I don't think that Marquette's going to touch where Seton Hall is this year. And, and, and that for me gives the edge to Miles Powell, um, the ability to, to contribute at that high level score at that high level and be on a team that's, that's really competing for the, the second weekend of the tournament. Um, final question. Well, what is nuts though, to me is that if you look at the conference, it's legitimately possible that if you look at only returning cores, Villanova has the worst returning top player. Well, that was going to be so. I was going to start <laughs> yeah. off my hot take: was Villanova is going to win the conference, but not have a first team selection. I mean, I think Jeremy Robinson Earl is going to be a first teamer. I'll say it. That's my hot. That's my quote unquote hot take. I, I, I think him. I think Sadiq Bay could be as well. He, he, I think he's. I like him as a second year guy, but yeah, I agree. But but if I were to, if I were to pick six right now, that that I would say. I'd actually put seven ahead of anyone on Villanova if I were to pick right now my first team. I'd have Powell, Howard, Jallo. I'd put Tyshawn Alexander and uh, Najee Marshall, um, Akinjo, and Baldwin ahead of anyone on Villanova. Just because, just from the pure perspective of, I don't know if Villanova is going to have that one player that stands out 
like all these other teams are really sure. going to have. And so you're going to need Robinson Earl or, or Sadiq Bay or or someone to to kind of uh, really step up and or or Brian Antoine to really step up and perform at a high level. But I just don't think that's going to be how they win games. And so yeah. I could see, you know, I would probably say that two of them get on the second, one or two of them get on the second team, but I yeah. don't think anyone right now for me is really on my short list of players to make the, the, all the biggie sulfurs team. Yeah. I love Jerry. I think though, that even though I said it earlier, it's going to be tough to crack the first team in this conference. Like I'd probably say it's Howard Powell, Alexander Baldwin, Jallo and Marshall, mm-hmm. assuming either Howard or Powell wins player of the year. And we go with that six player all big East first team. <laughs> but I think that's probably what it's going to end up being. Now, I think this is going to depend a ton on where teams actually finish. Cause mm-hmm. honestly, two through two through eight roll the dice yeah throw it at a dartboard <laughs> so that that's my that's my hot take um what's what's yours lucas or is yours the robinson earl <laughs> uh i think my hot take will be marquette will have a very legitimate shot at finishing second in the conference okay I, I was in that boat about four months ago, and and Brian talked me off that ledge. But uh... <laughs> do I trust? Do I trust Coach Wojo? No. Do I trust anyone else? No. Yeah. Someone's gonna have to get second. Someone's gonna have to get it. And I don't necessarily believe in Seton Hall that much. Xavier's gonna have to make a big leap. Marquette has a returning star, yep. and. I mean, obviously, so do those other two teams, but I keep wanting to believe in my least favorite team growing up for some reason. That would be the Golden Eagles, who I hated for my entire life. Because Kobe um, is going to win Player of the Year. And oh, God. There's a hot take. <laughs> we're going to have kids shooting Kobe into the trash can for new reasons. <laughs> Brian, what's your one bold prediction? Oh, my goodness. Well, I I kind of touched on a a lot of bold predictions that I have for the conference. An article for Busting Brackets will hashtag plug that as well on my three bold predictions that I have for the Big East. I think Georgetown's going to do really well, finish third, and Akinjo's going to have the kind of breakout season. I already told you, I think Seton Hall's a Final Four team uh, with Villanova, and I think Seton Hall wins the conference. I'm out Kyle Woods National Player of the Year. For all the reasons that I've mentioned previously on this podcast. <laughs> I think the Big East is just too balanced to have a ton of hot takes this year. And and, and that's what makes the Big East sort of the most fun, fun. conference to watch. Oh, yeah. They are the the to what they're they are to basketball, in my opinion, what the Pac twelve is to football, which is just they're you know, they they don't have a ton of top five caliber teams year in and year out, like the SEC or the ACC or the Big Ten or the Big Twelve, but they just beat. You just up. the ACC having a top ten team in football every year? No, 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 no. In, in basketball. <laughs> well, the ACC has a top ten team in football every year now. I said outside of Clemson. <laughs> we don't have to talk about Clemson, guys. It's fine. We can, but, we can sorry, over sorry. but growing up as a UConn fan, and, and I'm excited for them to to get back to this. It's just 
they beat up on each other every single night and it's so much fun to watch so you know i'm a west coast guy but but i have a a soft spot by heart for for the big east and and it's probably outside of the west coast conferences the the conference i i turn on the most um so it'll be fun Uh, i think the big east has does not have nearly the national title contenders that other conferences have this season but they are the conference is the most watchable in the country oh for every sure. single night you could honestly i think if you look at it top to bottom let's say we put seton hall as the second best team in the league and butler as the eighth best team that's a good game yeah yeah <laughs> any any matchup in the conference i think will be um you turn it on you think oh yeah this could be a close game for 40 minutes yeah, I mean, outside... Except for any game St. Johnson's playing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you never know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, outside of, of St. John's and, and probably DePaul, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the 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 point spreads on, on Big East games are less than three uh, scores for every game outside of teams playing those two. Because... I just think it's going to be that close. Um, So, you know, it's going to be fun. Uh, Definitely going to bring some excitement to the Big East. Um, And, yeah, I mean, outside of St. John's, which is probably my favorite team in the Big East, everyone else is going to... what? (laughs) My favorite team in the Big East is St. John's, everyone. (laughs) Good Um, to know. So it, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. So, I have my own hashtag with St. John's Twitter, so I I won't <laughs> say how much they dislike me, but it's significant. Um, Is it because you told them they rightfully told them they sucked last year? I don't really know where it started anymore, but it'll come up throughout the year, I'm sure. <laughs> with that, we will uh, be back early next week to kind of do a a primer uh, for the season where we're going to discuss some of the the best bets, uh, top mid-major teams that we haven't mentioned um, yet in these previews and discuss that first week of games because that first week of games is stacked with a lot of good matchups. So with that, I'm Connor. I won't be on that pod, but I request the the discussion on Harvard. for sure. You're be... getting a discussion on Harvard. Do not worry about that, my friend. They, they will come right after New Mexico State. I promise oh, you. Oh, God. So, <laughs> <laughs> got it. With that, I'm Connor Hope for my co host, Brian Ralph. Thank you, Lucas, for joining us to discuss the Big Thanks East. Thanks for having me on. And we will talk to you guys early next week.